Hey Chi Alpha family, I'm Nate and I'm here on staff with Chi Alpha and I'm so excited to welcome you back um, and say Happy New Year to you. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas break. Um, my wife Maggie and I got to go to my parents' house in Spokane. We had a blast over there playing in the snow. Uh, we got to see some guys playing ice hockey on a pond, on a frozen pond, which I'd only seen in movies before, so that was pretty cool. Uh, got to do some sledding and playing games with family. It was a good time, but I'm glad to be back here as well. And I'm really excited to be kicking off our new series for you this quarter. It's called Let's Talk. Our words, our speech, and tongue is one of the most talked about things in the Bible. The Bible emphasizes that words have power. Jesus spoke the word into creation by speaking a word. Jesus calls himself the word of God. Part of coming to follow Jesus is proclaiming verbally that you're a follower of Jesus by confessing that with your mouth. Words are powerful, and they have a huge impact on our world. And that's what we're going to be teaching on this quarter. But we're going to learn tonight that before we can get our speech right, our hearts must be right first. So if the Bible pastors could come forward um, and pass out the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you tonight, we'd love to give you one to borrow. Um, or if you don't have one at all, um, just go ahead and take that home with you. We'd love for you to have a Bible with you. Um, so as they're passing that out, um, if you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, we'll be starting in verse 1. I'll just jump right into it. Matthew 15, starting verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So what the Pharisees are talking about here is the ritual of hand cleansing. The Pharisees and all the Jews followed the tradition of ceremonially washing their hands before they ate. Now this wasn't a hygiene issue, but was considered an issue of moral and ritual purity. It is also important to note that this tradition didn't come from the written law of God given to Moses, but from the oral traditions passed down by religious leaders concerning the opinions, applications of the written law of God. In the Old Testament law, only priests were required to ritually wash their hands before going into the tabernacle, and others only had to wash if they handed, handled bodily excrements. So, a hygiene issue there. <laughs> so that's probably where this tradition comes from. But, as the Jews started interacting more with the Gentiles, the Pharisees developed more and more of these oral traditions as a way to distinguish and separate clean Jews from unclean Gentiles. Now, these oral traditions were first written down in the 2nd century in what was called the Mishnah, and it had five volumes. But, by the 5th century, it had grown to a 63-volume book called the Talmud. And Pharisees in particular, like the ones in this story, followed these oral traditions to a T, and they expected others to as well. So, the concern of the Pharisees is that Jesus' disciples aren't washing their hands in this ritual way before they eat. This washing of hands wasn't a hygiene issue, but was considered a moral purity issue, washing away defilement or uncleanliness of the heart. But let's look at Jesus' response to the Pharisees. In verse 3, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. 
These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen, understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Now, I just watched Utopia with my parents, and there was a point where Nick the Fox was teaching Officer Hops how to answer difficult interview questions. He says, the best way to look smart is to answer their question with your own question, and then answer that question. And Jesus is the king of this. Let's check it out. The Pharisees ask, why do your disciples break tradition by eating with unwashed hands? And instead of answering, Jesus asks, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? And then he answers, because you are hypocrites. You speak as if you were honoring God, but your hearts are far from him. So the Pharisees called out his disciples for not ritually washing their hands. But Jesus calls out their traditions as being in direct opposition to God's heart and commandments. You see, Jesus doesn't just do this to look smart. During his ministry, the Pharisees would often ask Jesus pointed questions, trying to set him up to speak against the law or to say something that they could use against him. But Jesus always sees right through their questions, and he cuts to the heart of the real issue. Now, the specific issue that Jesus is calling out is the tradition of Corbin. Um, and you can look at Mark 7. It's uh, uh, Mark's account of this same story. Um, and it goes into a little more detail about the tradition of Corbin. Um, but this was an oral tradition that allowed a person to set aside money or property and dedicate it to God. Which sounds great, right? So the goods would remain in that person's possession and control, but upon their passing, it would go to the church. In doing this, though, children could keep these goods from being used by their parents as retirement. This was kind of like the social security system of that time. Children were responsible for loving and caring for their parents as they got old and couldn't make a living for themselves. But under Corbin, the Pharisees could, would encourage adult children of parents to dedicate goods to the church and then not allow them to take it back to care for their parents. So in this way, the Pharisees were directly rejecting the written law to honor your mother and father by enforcing Corbin and forget, forbidding people to use that money to care for the elderly parents, so that the money would come to the church. Now, that's the specific example that Jesus gives, but he's speaking to a much larger issue, that the Pharisees and the people of God were speaking as if they were righteous, but in their hearts they didn't really desire to follow God. In Isaiah 29:13, it defines a hypocrite as one who voices lofty and noble sentiments, that don't match the intentions of the heart. I'll say that again. It says in Isaiah 29, 13, and it defines a hypocrite as one who voices lofty and noble sentiments that don't match the intentions of their heart. So what Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees is that they need a heart check. Because he could see that the intentions of their heart were not to love or follow God. So sometimes I think we need those heart checks too, don't we? Let's take a minute to check our own hearts. Do you ever act like these Pharisees? 
Are there any things you do or say to appear righteous or good, but the intentions of your heart are not really to glorify God? Think about that for a minute. Yeah, you can, you can keep thinking on that too. Let's move on to the verse 15. And Peter says, um, explain this parable to us, Jesus. And Jesus, he he's so patient. But he says here, are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of their heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, these are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. He's saying, come on guys, it's not about the washing of your hands. It's not about eating certain foods. These things don't make you unclean. Because remember, they considered unclean to be a morality issue, an issue of the heart. But Jesus is saying, that what you eat goes in and it comes out again. It has no access to your heart, so it isn't a heart issue. But the things that come out of your mouth, those things come directly from your heart. Those things that come out of your mouth can defile you because they reveal the condition and the intention of your heart. What God really cares about is the intention of your heart. But let's, let's look more closely at the concept of the heart. Because if we're really to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need a good understanding of what he means by the heart. Now, the biblical understanding of the heart is different than our own current cultural idea. It's not just a place of our affections and feelings. But the biblical understanding of the heart is that it is the seat of one's whole self. So it's one's whole self, one's whole being is, is seated in the heart. And it's com com composed of five, excuse me, composed of five different components. First, our mind, our emotions, our will, our spirit, and our conscience. So, from the, from the heart come our capacities to think, to feel, to make decisions, to have faith, and to distinguish between right and wrong. The biblical understanding is that all of these things come out of and happen in the heart. And having this understanding makes a lot more sense to when Jesus says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. He makes a connection between the mind and the heart. Then right after this, he says that Jesus gives us... Then right after he says that, Jesus gives us some examples of the kinds of evil that make us morally unclean. He says murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft false testimony, slander, these are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Now, this isn't a comprehensive list, of course, but an example of just some of the sins that make us unclean. But we can easily see that each of these sin examples are physical manifestations of sins that start in the thoughts of our heart. Jesus also talks about this a little bit in Matthew 5. He says that if you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Or later on it says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So our sinful actions or words can't be separated from the sinful thoughts of our heart. Let's follow these examples. The sin of murder starts as, it starts as thoughts of anger and bitterness in our hearts, right? And that anger festers and is acted out on in vengeance. The sins of adultery, as well as sexual immorality, start as sinful thoughts of lust in our hearts. And those lustful thoughts continue into further contemplation, and the imagination is allowed to continue unfettered until maybe sometimes it turns into physical expression. But we see this in the other examples as well. Theft. It starts out as a thought of envy or covetousness in our hearts. When we see something that someone else has and we want it for ourselves, False testimony or lying starts with thoughts of pride, wickedness, or malice in our hearts. And it's expressed as we speak falsely and dishonestly. And slander, or the sin of speaking evil about someone else or about God, comes from a self-righteous thought with spite and contempt that leads us to talk bad about someone. We easily see, excuse me, sorry, in the weeks to come, we will learn about certain types of conversations and what the Bible says about how, um, about how we talk. But there's another conversation going in on our own heads too, right? There's another conversation going on in our heads. I think we often consider our thoughts to be somewhat uncontrollable, that our thoughts are just a reaction to our circumstances or our emotions. I think there's some truth to that. There are thoughts that just kind of pop into our head, right? But scripture makes it pretty clear that in Christ, our sin nature no longer has control over any part of our heart, including our thought life. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in light of this, um, here's four steps to taking control of your thoughts. The first, read scripture and pray. Now I know that this is in practically every list that we make, but it's important. So don't, don't look past this. If we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, like Paul says, then we need to be renewing it and filling it with God's truths. As we grow in intimacy with God and a knowledge of his truths, God transforms all those fac- faculties of our hearts, our mind, emotions, will, spirit, and conscience. He transforms those to be more and more like him. Second, Don't entertain wicked thoughts, or as I like to say, shut it down. Those wicked thoughts that will pop into our mind, uh, we don't have to entertain them. We learned today that sin starts with the thoughts of our heart. Anger turns to sin as we let it fester and grow and allow our hearts to be bitter towards someone. Shut that down and move towards the path of forgiveness and healing. A quick glance and thought of, wow, he or she is attractive, can quickly turn to lustful thoughts and actions if we allow our imagination to continue. 
Shut it down. Comparing the way you look to that attractive person in your class can trigger insecurities in yourself and turn into pointing out every flaw you can find in them just to try and build yourself up, which in turn can turn to gossip or slander as we verbalize those thoughts. Shut that down. Number three, redirect your thoughts. You might have noticed that, that it's really hard to stop thinking of things by saying, stop thinking about this. Instead, when wicked thoughts come into our minds, replace them with what we know to be true and right. This is why reading scripture and prayer are number one on this list. For every wicked thought that comes to our minds, there are probably three to twenty verses in scripture that speak into that situation directly and point us to the truth of God. For example, as some of my housemates and I fought to beat porn addiction in college, during times of temptation, I would recite Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And I still say this to myself in times of temptation. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As we grow closer to the Lord, and God transforms the faculties of our hearts by the renewing of our minds, our thoughts start looking more and more like God's. And those wicked thoughts start popping up less and less. So please keep setting your mind on things above. Lastly, number four, take time to self-reflect. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think it's an essential practice as a follower of Jesus to frequently take some time to look inwardly and assess with the Lord where our hearts are at. To do a heart check, like we did earlier tonight. Allowing God into the dark places of our heart is scary. It can be difficult and often painful. But as we invite him in, he really does transform the way that we think, believe, act, and speak. This quarter, we're going to learn about our words and conversations and how we talk. But as Jesus teaches us here in Matthew 15, what comes out of our mouths comes from what's in our hearts. So keep that in mind for the rest of this quarter. And as, as we talk about each topic, and, and maybe you see some ways that um, you're sinning by the way that you speak, or um, you're not really glorifying God with the way that you talk about people or talk to people, um, Try and identify what's the heart issue behind that. What are the intentions of your heart that are leading you to sin with your mouth? <clears throat> now we're in a pretty natural season right now to be taking time to reflect. We just ended a year and, and we're starting a new year. Um, and we can look back on the last year and assess how how'd that year go. And we can look forward to this year. How do we want this year to go? So as the worship team comes up, you guys can start coming up. We're going to take some time tonight to do some of that reflection. So first, I want you to reflect on that, that earlier question we asked. Are there things you do or say to appear righteous or good 
but the intentions of your heart are not really to glorify God. Next, what are the thoughts of your heart that are sinful or could be leading you towards sin? What are the thoughts of your heart that are sinful or could be leading you towards sin? Number three, what steps do you need to take to control your thoughts? What steps do you need to take to control your thoughts? And lastly, I really encourage you to find a scripture that speaks to those recurring sinful thoughts. Find a scripture that speaks truth and light and hope into those uh, sinful situations or the thought cycles that you get into. And I'll pray to end us as, as the worship team starts. Lord, thanks so much that um, that you do transform our all the faculties of our, of our hearts, our mind, our will, our conscience, our beliefs. All of these things, our emotions, all of these things you transform as we know more and more of you. We commit to our minds your truths and your promises. Thank you that you transform us, that you make us more and more like you. Would you be doing that work in us this quarter? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.